0: to the West. My name is Alan Mulhern. This is a mini-series on the origins of evil. The last episode was fairly compact and needs to be unpacked over the next few episodes. For example, ideas such as the distinction between the Luciferic and the Satanic in the human psyche, and the connection between evolutionary and moral awareness. To summarise the last episode, Season 2, episode 84. Creative and destructive forces exist as universal principles and underpin life on earth and the consciousness of humanity. The essence of evil, which applies to humans, that is creatures with moral awareness, is the destruction of the good. This is the satanic, malevolently opposed to the life-giving and creative a distinction is made to the Luciferian, which is a movement to consciousness, and therefore, while liberating, is also the root of our alienation. Much of what we think of as bad, negative, egoistic, in humans, originates in our animal ancestry and has evolved. However, when primate instincts, appetites, and sexuality pass through the prism of human consciousness, they are easily magnified and distorted. Evil is regarded not simply as the absence of the good, the privatio boni, elaborated by St. Augustine to become a teaching of the Catholic Church, but as an active destroyer of the good, the perdizio boni as I termed it. To clarify and translate, Privatio boni in Latin. Privatio means privation or absence, and boni means of the good. So privatio boni means privation or absence of the good. And the opposite term I've invented is peritio boni, which means the destruction of the good. Now, this is not a distinction that makes much sense to modern consciousness, But a rough equivalent might be as follows. Many people believe that human beings are born naturally good and any shadow, malfunctioning or later emergence of evil is the result of trauma or disturbance of some kind. Something dark has to happen to us that deprives us of the goodness which is our birthright. Thus, when psychotherapists hear of malevolence, they are inclined to inquire of its supposed roots in the early family dynamic. However, the Padusia Boni idea suggests that human evil can result from people who are not necessarily disturbed by trauma. It is simply a potential in human nature and can surface for many reasons, some of which we can't pin down at all. Naturally, since mankind began to think morally, the question of the origin of evil was a continual problem. Let us look at some examples. We begin in this episode with the ancient Egyptians and the Judaic tradition. The ancient Egyptians held the dual principles of creation versus destruction, as well as order versus chaos, to be an eternal struggle. Although Judaic civilization tried to distinguish itself sharply from the Egyptian, there are many overlaps and influences. For the Egyptians, the sun god, the symbol of consciousness itself, is raised by superhuman effort out of the waters of chaos, that is, out of the unconscious. Thus, the constructive creative principle, mart, is the basis of civilization which struggles with the destructive forces against it, not only from nature, but from the darkness and violence within mankind. The scarab or dung beetle was venerated by the ancient Egyptians. It puts its eggs in dung and rolls them to a hole in the ground, where they are later to hatch. The image of the beetle rolling the ball was likened ...to the sun god rolling the sun. The earth became the underworld... ...the nightly journey of the sun god... ...and the new life from under the earth... ...was the rising sun. Such images... ...as it were life out of dung... ...and consciousness out of dross... ...prefigure similar alchemical themes... ...of the transformation of lead to gold... The connection to the life principle of the sun, light, higher consciousness and our transcendent being is necessary to combat the darkness within ourselves. By 5000 years ago, the Neolithic revolution in agriculture had produced large, concentrated human populations, especially along subtropical river basins such as those of the Nile. Order now meant the establishment of society, law and regulation, requiring clear and firm leadership and control. Order and civilization were synonymous, which needed not only reason to establish them, but higher forces to give them sufficient authority. The pharaohs were divine. The Egyptian conception of time was at two levels. Firstly, that of the gods, In linear time, consisting of narratives concerning their struggles, which constituted the archetypal principles that governed human existence and consciousness. Secondly, the time of mankind, which was circular, where, as a result of the gods' struggles, the cycle of our existence, its daily round, was created. This cycle was not meant to last forever, But like the finale to Wagner's opera, The Ring of the Nibelung, one day ends and conditions return to their beginning in the primal ocean of the unconscious. Thus, one of the earliest and long-lasting civilizations, intuited not only the origins of mankind, but also its possible end. Such a battle between opposites is of both collective and personal significance and is dramatically represented by the sun itself on its daily and nightly cycles. Ra, the sun god of consciousness, rules the day, but each night is devoured by the forces of darkness. Ra's reign is not secure, for each night he crosses on a bark over the waters, fights with the serpent of chaos, Apep and requires the help of Osiris, the principle of rebirth and renewal, so as to emerge the next day. This battle between the forces of light and darkness symbolises the inner state of mankind, the nature of the psyche. The forces of order, the creative principles that have fashioned the existence of not only life, but the human psyche itself, are threatened by chaos and destructiveness. Egyptian mythology indicates that a battle between the light and dark sides of our nature has been part of the human experience since the beginning of our emergence from nature. The story of Isis and Osiris is a founding myth concerning the nature of good and evil and the eternal battle between them. The story of Osiris' death at the hand of his brother Seth was told across thousands of years of Egyptian history and had numerous versions. They all agree that in the beginning Osiris and Isis were happy and in love, rather like a Judaic version of Adam and Eve. A primal couple, except they were gods, united in love before the emergence of evil. Isis was Osiris's sister and she was to become the most famous goddess in Egyptian history. Both myths, the Judaic and Egyptian, Think of love as more foundational than evil. The brother of Osiris and Isis, Seth, was malevolently jealous of Osiris. There are many versions of this myth. The one told in the Pyramid Texts tells of a physical battle between the two brothers, at the end of which Osiris is defeated and dismembered by Seth. His body parts are then found by Isis, who brings him briefly back to life in order to impregnate her. She subsequently gives birth to Horus, who later slays Seth and reestablishes the kingdom of peace and good rule, Mart Civilization. Osiris leaves Earth and is either in the underworld or the starry firmament as a constellation. He embodies the principle of rebirth and justice. He is God of the underworld, judge of the dead. In this lasting, great and popular myth, creative and destructive forces are the underlying structure of good and evil. Osiris and Seth are polar opposites. Moreover, the power of evil at first appears quite comprehensive, with the brutal victory of Seth over Osiris. But later, the principle of civilization, Osiris and Horus, wins. In the Judaic myth, the first introduction of psychopathic type evil is also of one brother towards another. Cain, who also kills his brother Abel. The malevolence of Cain in the Judaic and Seth in the Egyptian mythologies is based on envy, the intense desire to have what another possesses. Malevolent envy, akin to hatred, is the preparedness to destroy that which one envies. Envy, hatred and violence occur in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, immediately after the fall from the Garden of Eden. Likewise, the manifestation of Seth's feelings occur very early in the Egyptian story. Clearly, these are regarded by the Egyptians and the Jews as primary feelings or forces in the human species preceding all others, except for love. Moreover, in both cases, at least with the modern eye, there is a great deal of obvious psychology. Envy between siblings. One brother feeling excluded the other taking centre stage. The excluded one, in his brother's shadow, grows angrier and more violent until his rage erupts. Such a story is recognisable the world over as a primary and frequent cause of dark feelings in a family. The potential for evil lies embedded in the complex emotions of the human family. Where the emergent and vulnerable self is potentially distorted. Both myths posit human evil in malevolent feelings of envy in the family dynamic. However, explicitly in the case of Judaism and implicitly in the case of Egyptian mythology, an underlying division in human consciousness into dark and light, lower and higher potentialities are posited. In both mythologies, the Judaic answer to the appearance of evil in the form of Cain is his banishment. Later, transgressions from God's law are counteracted by punishment and the injunction to stay within it. The Egyptian answer is different, since there is a female principle at work in the form of Isis, who, rescuing Osiris, creates a son who is later to re establish civilization. The psychopathic or malevolent evil of mankind does not win out in either the Judaic or Egyptian mythologies, but their pathways are different. The Egyptian demonstrating the influence of goddesses and therefore leaning towards a different psychology. There are a number of goddesses in the Egyptian pantheon, including Nut, who, far from being confined to the earth, was the goddess of the overarching sky. There was also Hathor. Goddess of love, beauty, music, dancing, fertility, and pleasure. Protector of women, though worshipped by men. Isis herself. Goddess of healing. The wife, protector, rescuer. Role model for women. Principal deity in rites of the dead. Again, there is a greater stress on a female, a positive component of the psyche. Egypt, although a patriarchy, is clearly more linked to the world of the Great Mother compared to the Judaic civilization, in contrast to the masculine nature of the Abrahamic God with no female companion in the heavens. Nevertheless, the portrayal of evil or psychopathy is even more marked in the Egyptian case, since the dismemberment details are far more brutal than those of the Cain and Abel story. Also, in the Egyptian, there is no higher god that steps in to solve the problem. Seth and Osiris are already gods, and the consequences of their actions are to determine the fate of the human race. However, the idea that there is a beneficent mother who cares for the world, nature, all creatures and mankind leaves a different imprint on the psyche compared to the Judaic and the Christian God who is ultimately transcendent and moral. Mankind's fallen state is the result of the emergence of ego consciousness for which the word fallen is only partially accurate. That is in reference to the fall from the Garden of Eden, fall from nature, fall from an original oneness. Mankind also arises out of the unconscious in stages. Our emergence in Africa around two hundred to 300,000 years ago was just the beginning of a series of steps in which ego consciousness became more extensive and better established in the psyche and freed us from a state of unawareness. The Neolithic revolution, agriculture, and the subsequent move to the patriarchy were critical later stages in this process. Consciousness, therefore, escapes the clutches of the unconscious and experiences a sense of freedom. On the other hand, it experiences loss. It is with the patriarchal religions that the myth of a fallen state gathers force. Thus, we have a distinct feature of the human psyche. It is divided into various components. Which see and experience the world quite differently. The separated ego suffers from limitation, division, and an inner state of emptiness. Shame is easily instilled into early consciousness. A sense of loss and a fear of death emerge. This sense of shame and anxiety is defended against. Resentment and dissatisfaction emerge out of incompleteness and inadequacy, a sense of inferiority and envy arise, which provokes destructive attack on goodness. Inner conflict based on inadequacy gives rise to malignancy. With the fall into ego consciousness, mankind also becomes aware of a higher state, something divine within, which is projected into the heavens and into the gods. However, dark envy and destructiveness attack this higher self. Thus the myth of Lucifer's opposition to God, his pride that he was as bright and shining as the creator, can also be interpreted as envy and malignant attack. Such a myth clearly strikes a response in the psyche, since it is a symbolic narrative of one of its central dilemmas. This is the capacity of one part of the psyche, the envious and malignant, to attack and sometimes destroy the good part, the creative, loving and bountiful. It has been persuasively suggested by Melanie Klein, the controversial yet highly influential member of the British Psychoanalytic Society in the mid-20th century, that envy and subsequent rage attack upon the mother is a common infant fantasy. This is primarily an intra-psychic phenomena that is within the psyche, a fantasy experienced within. This implies that the good parts of the psyche can be attacked in envious and malevolent attack by other parts of itself. With this as an internal drama, it is not difficult to imagine how it is projected onto others, the external world, and into mythology. Chapter 4 of Genesis, following the banishment of Adam and Eve from the garden, opens with the birth of Cain and Abel, their two sons, Immediately, their strife becomes apparent. The consequences of the fall express themselves in our capacity to hate and destroy even our own family. Indeed, the common finding of psychotherapy is that the family is the chief locus of the suffering and neuroses that beset us. It is also the container and developer of our love and our sense of identity. There is nothing that can replace it. It is through the distortions, traumas and afflictions to our attachment bonds to our love where darkness enters the psyche and wreaks its damage. Cain is envious of Abel, who seems more favoured in God's sight. A classic case of primal envy based on a sense of inferiority. Children are, as a rule, extraordinarily sensitive to their valuation in the family and psychologically we might read this myth as a family drama. But the Bible puts it in terms of a spiritual problem. Cain and Abel offer sacrifices to God to test his favour and it is the smoke from Abel's fire that ascends straight while that of Cain's is blown adrift. The forces of destruction within human beings can easily overwhelm those of order and reason and goodness. Many myths and legends concern a primal battle between light and darkness. To underestimate the darkness in our species is naive. However, it is instructive to realise that different cultures, while facing the same problem, view it differently. The radical answer given by the Abrahamic religions is one version among others. Judaism was unconsciously influenced by Egyptian religion and mythology even as it consciously opposed it. The Egyptians, however, had a less severe version of the creation of mankind and the fall although there is disobedience and punishment like in the Judaic version. Unlike Yahweh, Ra... The Egyptian father god is not the ultimate creator of the universe, although he does create the earth. He emerges from the great waters, none, the unconscious, the primal oneness, as an egg. In his reign he creates mankind, who, as he grows old, scorn and laugh at him. For this he sends the punishment of Hathor, the female lion goddess, who slaughters many Egyptians. Thus mankind's disobedience and disrespect is punished temporarily, but this has none of the permanent tragic severity that the fall of mankind has in the Judaic Bible. Ra's rule on earth also has only a limited duration and he is replaced by Isis who forces his secret power from him, a movement to the feminine. Thus we notice a female element entering the highest pantheon of the Egyptian gods, and this distinguishes it markedly from the Judaic tradition. Although Egypt was a patriarchy with predominantly male heads of households and kingdoms, there was a strong female element in their culture. Isis, for example, was of immense popularity in Egyptian history across thousands of years, indicating a different attitude to life. However, the Egyptians certainly did not underestimate the brutality and psychopathy of evil in the human psyche. And now to end this episode, here is a poem on Cain and Abel. When each of Adam's sons were born, he praised the Lord above. To fill the void of Eden's loss, sweet Eve gave all her love. Raised were they unto the light, in hope for all our race. Erase the memory of that pain, the primal fall from grace. Abel with their flocks kept watch, while Cain did till the earth. At common table took they food, a bed they shared from birth. At mother's breast they shared her milk, they played at Adam's feet. As boys they fought to pass the time. In youth they did compete. But darkness grew within Cain's soul. He fought it hard and long. Anger gripped him in a vice. To do his brother wrong. For Abel seemed more favoured. In all he did excel. In parents' eyes he was their joy. In shadow Cain did dwell. In sacrifice to God above, these brothers' fires did light. Cain brought corn and Abel's sheep, sought they favour in his sight. The smoke rose straight from Abel's flame, to heaven his prayers ascend. The fire but smouldered in Cain's hearth, the wind the flame did bend. And straight a fury Cain possessed, a darkness like no other. He roared in anger at the sky. He leapt upon his brother. And with a rock he broke his skull. In body plunged a knife. The blood cried sharp from out the ground. Mankind is lost in strife. The Lord of Cain demanded, Wherefore is thy brother? In dreadful anguish he is sought By father and by mother. If in love he is held dear, Thou should be his seeker. Cain replied from his dark soul, Am I my brother's keeper? Exile from this land and home, thou must seek another. A mark upon thy forehead be, This man has killed his brother. But no one shall molest thee, thy seed can grow full strong. The mark of Cain is in mankind, in memory of this wrong.